Hebrews 10. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all, and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First he said, Sacrifices and offerings. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, Here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, This is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. 
Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. Do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere when you have done the will of God so you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And, but my righteous one will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. The Old Testament is kind of weird. I don't know how much you've read of it, but often I feel that. When I read it, I think there's a whole lot of stuff there that is just not my normal everyday experience of life. This passage in Hebrews 10 talks a lot about sacrifices, and that's a great example. Because why in the Old Testament does it make so much of all these sacrifices that they had to do, and yet... Later on in the Bible, they seem to just drop out and, you know, not even happen. We don't do sacrifices now. At Uni Church, we've never slaughtered an animal up the front, and I think that's a good thing. <laughs> Why were they necessary and they not now? What does God want? What does God want from us? Is he changing his mind? That's the question we were going to ask today. What does God want? Uh, welcome to Uni Church. Let me add my welcome to Rubens. My name's Chris. If I haven't met you, I'd love to meet you later. Uh, and I'm the youth pastor here at St. Matt's, which means I like visual illustrations, hence lettuces. Uh, wasn't I just love the colour scheme in here so much? I thought we just needed to add more green. But I thought, well, let's look at that. Let's bring some lettuces in and we'll get to those later. But as we're looking at what God wants, what we're going to do is we'll first we'll say what God doesn't want. Then we'll see what God does want. And then we'll look at what does that mean for us. So, starting off, Hebrews 10, what does God want? Or what doesn't God want? He doesn't want sacrifices. The passage makes that really clear. Look with me at the second uh, at verse 5, the second half. Um sacrifices and offerings you did not desire. Or verse 6, with burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. In many places around the world, sacrifice seems to have been an integral part of worshipping God or gods. Uh, But throughout history, wherever the influence of Jesus has spread, sacrifices have stopped. The Old Testament, the part written before Jesus' birth, as I said, there are whole books about sacrifices, sacrifices that God wanted people to do. But even in the Old Testament, though God wanted them to do it, you didn't do sacrifices to please God. That wasn't their purpose. Verse 3 here, you may have noticed as we read through earlier, verse 3 tells us why there were sacrifices. Those sacrifices were an annual reminder of sins. An annual reminder of sins. That's why there were sacrifices, uh, to remind people of their sin, their rebellion against God, the times we ignored God, to say that when you sin, 
when you don't listen to God, that's really serious. That's a big deal. I have a mental picture of what the Old Testament temple was like. If you were here last week, uh, Kim showed us a picture of something that was a little bit like it. It was an amazing building and it was a great place to see the contrast of the glory of God and the sin of man. Because from a distance, as you went up towards the temple, it was glorious and shining and golden. It was a huge building and covered in gold and just amazing. But the more closer you got, when you actually got in to look at it, it wasn't just bright gold. It was stained in dried blood. It wasn't just majestic. It was kind of macabre. It always used to confuse me reading some of the Old Testament laws because when they're talking about the temple being made, they talk about how beautiful it was and how gleaming and all the artistry and craftsmanship that went into it, the shining gold and silver and bronze. And then just when they finished making it, they consecrated it by just spraying blood around everywhere, by sprinkling it with blood. And I always think, but but surely that's going to ruin it. This amazing building they've made, the blood's just going to be make it ugly and horrific. And that's exactly the point. That was exactly the point because our sin is serious. When we ignore God, that's a big deal. It ruins things. It brings death. Our sin turns the beautiful ugly. And the Old Testament temple was a continual reminder of that. It was an assault on your senses to show you the glory of God and the ugliness of sin. It wasn't just the sight. It was the sounds of animals being sacrificed and and the smell. Do you know that smell of blood? I know sometimes I'll cut myself shaving and I won't notice, but the first thing I'll do, I'll smell that slightly acrid metallic smell and it's not a nice feeling. It's not a nice smell. And that's that smell that would have been everywhere at the temple. The sacrifices were being offered and the stench of blood and death was everywhere. But when you offered your sacrifice at the altar, when it was uh, the fire was lit, that smell of death would be replaced by an aroma of delicious roast lamb. I love lamb. We had it for dinner last night. I can still taste it. It was great. Um, and that's exactly the point as well, because the stench of death in the sacrifices gave way to the aroma of life. As the sacrifice went from dead meat to delicious morsel, you too symbolically, not actually, the sacrifices didn't achieve anything, but it painted that picture of moving from repugnant to beloved. You see, the sacrifices, and in fact all the law, was just a shadow. A shadow. Uh, we talk about it uh, in verse 1 here. The law was only a shadow of the good things coming, a picture of it, but, but a, a flat black and white, colourless, basic shape and outline, it misses a lot of the important details. 
shadows, you can work out what's going on, but not you can't see everything. For example, I'm sure you can work out quickly that that's a rose. Uh, simple, easy, a rose. But can you tell me what colour it is? I don't know, maybe there's someone studying biology that can tell by the shape of the petals or something like that, but I have no idea. I can't tell you what it smells like. I have a guess, but I don't know. Or this lady, obviously someone sitting and reading, but what is she reading? Is she enjoying it or is she bored? The silhouette, the shadow gives us some idea It shows us the basic outline of how God would deal with sin, but it never really worked. It never worked to actually get rid of it. It just gave us a general picture. It was a shadow. See, sacrifices were never for God's benefit. God didn't need dead animals. He created the whole world. No, sacrifices were for us to show us both the ugliness of our sin and that God could overcome it. So if God doesn't want sacrifices, what does he want? Well, he wants holiness. Look in verses 8 to 10 with me. I'm going to point out two things. First, he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then second, he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. See, this is Jesus speaking and he sets aside the first to establish the second. He sets aside the sacrifices and offerings to establish God's will. So what is God's will? Well, that's what verse 10 tells us, isn't it? By that will, we have been made holy to make us holy God wants holiness. See, animal sacrifices never brought holiness. Verses 1, verses 11, it's easy to see it throughout this passage that they never took away sins. They were never what God wanted. They never made us right or holy. They pointed out our unholiness, the need for something to fix it, but they didn't do that job. What brings holiness is Jesus. Jesus brought holiness. And he did it once for all. Verses 11 to 14. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices. See, they did it over and over, time and time again. But when Jesus came, the sacrifices which had kept going because there was no sin taken care of, because people kept on sinning. When Jesus came, they stopped. When this priest, Jesus, verse 12, offered for all time one sacrifice, he sat down at the right hand of God. He didn't stand up continually offering sacrifices. He sat down because his work was complete. The perfect high priest, Jesus, when he performed the perfect sacrifice of himself, didn't need more sacrifice because he has opened the way to holiness. He's done everything that was required, everything that God wanted to make us holy. But not only that, 
Not only did Jesus far surpass the Old Testament that never really worked, not only did Jesus do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves by offering sacrifices, not only did Jesus bring holiness, not only has Jesus brought holiness, but the Spirit brings holiness. The Spirit works to change our lives so that our lives match the status we've now been given. Verses 15 and 16, the Holy Spirit also testifies about it to us. First he says, this is the covenant I'll make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I'll put my law in their hearts. I'll write them on their minds. See, with God's Spirit at work, we have we have the laws, God's laws in our hearts. They're written on our minds. It means we're thinking about how to live God's way. It means we love living God's way. He motivates us to change, to live holy lives by changing our behaviour. We'll actually start loving living in holiness. We're not needing external sacrifices or external reminders in the sacrifices because we have an internal reminder in the spirit. See, sacrifices are no longer necessary, verse 18, when we have forgiveness. And so if you know that, if you know that God's not interested in sacrifices because Jesus and the spirit have brought us the holiness that we need, then... That leads us uh, to great joy and to addresses two problems we often have when we think about sin. Two great problems in thinking about sin are anxiety and complacency. They are sort of opposites in some ways. And this passage addresses them both. It addresses our anxiety about, about sin. Uh, no, it doesn't have a thing for that. Um, yeah, our anxiety about sin... Because often when I do the wrong thing, when I do it again and again, I worry that I'll never get better, that I'll never do the right thing, I'll never live the holy life that God wants, that I, maybe I've messed up too bad, that I, I, I just can't be forgiven. We were talking to some uh, kids at youth group a couple of weeks ago about it and they were just feeling the weight of, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know how bad I've been. But this passage gives us confidence. We've got confidence, verse 19 says, to enter the most holy place, to come right into God's presence. I've got a little cousin, uh, nephew, sorry, uh, or a couple of nephews and nieces, and when they've done the wrong thing, you see them physically shrink back away from you. When they know they're about to get in trouble... That it actually shows, uh, but what we're to, uh, what happens here is we're invited into God's presence. Last week we talked a bit about the temple, uh, the temple of God, and uh, if you're uh, that's a basic, far basic, more basic picture of the temple, but the temple was where people came to meet God in the Old Testament. It was another shadow of the reality that is to come. But if you uh, went to come near to God and you were a Gentile, you could only go to the outer area. You couldn't get very close. But if you were an Israelite, one of God's chosen people in the day, uh, you could get in a bit closer. And if you were a man, you could come over to 
this side to the court of men. And if you were a priest, you could get into the court of priests. And if you were a priest on duty, you could actually come... There it goes. There we are. No. You have no idea what I'm looking at. Never mind. Um, so there was the inner, the holy place. And in there, if you were a priest and if you were on duty, you could come in. But the most holy place, the part where God was sent to dwell, if you're the, the high priest, and if you were wearing the special garments, and if you had done the special sacrifices, and if it was the one day a year you were allowed to, then you could go into the most holy place. You could actually go in to where God's symbolic presence dwelt. As long as first you put so much incense on the altar that you basically wouldn't be able to see anything anyway. There is a sting in your eyes and you go in and there's, you can't see much. See, that was the picture of the temple in the Old Testament. But Jesus, in verse 20, Jesus' blood opens a new and living way. We're not separated and pulled apart from God. We can actually come close to him now. He is our great high priest that has paved a way for us to get to God. And so we come to our three lettuces. I know you've been wondering, and I'm sure some people have figured it out. Verse 22, you'll see the first. Verse 23, you'll see the second. And verse 24, you'll see the fourth. Let us draw near. Let us spur on. And let us hold tight. I think these are in the wrong order. Um, because If you know what God is doing... If you have seen the access that God has given, if you understand that he has invited us in, thrown the doors open, not holding us back, then let us draw near to God. Not being burdened by our anxiety of whether we're good enough. Not shrinking back like my niece and nephew when they're in trouble, but drawing near, having sincere hearts with full assurance. Not just being cleaned outside and symbolically, but with our hearts sprinkled clean, our bodies washed, we can come into the very presence of God, welcomed in. And let us hold tight, hold firm, hold on to our hope, not be deceived by other lesser hopes, the hope that maybe the sacrifices will work, the hope that maybe I'll be able to do enough to, for God to be pleased with me. No, let us hold tight to the hope that Jesus has done it because he is faithful. We know what he is like, that he won't let us down. And if you know the good things that God has given us when he's not required sacrifices but opened himself up, so we can come to him, let us spur on one another. Let us spur one another on to love and good deeds. Not not giving up meeting together, but coming here and to small groups and individually. 
See, it's really hard to spur one another on to love and good deeds if you're not seeing one another. But when we gather together, why we do that is to, to encourage each other, to spur each other on. And encouraging is what we're here for. You can hit, listen to a sermon at home on the internet. You can sing songs. You can even give to church. But you can't encourage one another. So now's a good time to start planning. Who are you going to encourage after church? As we go to the house for the bonfire, who are you going to build up and encourage? Not just encourage to make them feel good, but encourage to be more loving, to do good things. I'm going to review our lettuces again. Because these are important and you're going to forget them in a minute. Let us draw near. Let us hold fast. And let us spur on. When we're feeling anxious about our sins, that's what this passage would have us do. But we don't only feel anxious. Sometimes we also feel complacent. Sometimes we... Stop fighting against our sins and just sort of accept it. That we don't hate it, but we just think, well, that's part of life. That's just who I am. That I've fought against this and I, I just, I just give up. And if that's where we are, if we're getting complacent about our sins, verse 26 onwards has some serious words for us. If we deliberately keep on sinning, After we've received knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sin is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of the raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Notice what it's saying. Not if you sin, not if you're you're feeling worried, you're anxious because you've messed up, but if you deliberately keep on sinning, if you don't stop yourself, then this passage warns us, warns us about fearful expectation of judgment, of raging fire. And it goes on, anyone, anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has who's trampled the Son of God underfoot, who's treated as an unholy thing, the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who's insulted the Spirit of grace. The Old Testament people knew the ugliness of sin. They could see it in their sacrifices. They treated it seriously. The law said breaking the, uh, you know, uh, breaking the law led to death. Surely we as Christians should know about it better. Having seen it on the cross when Jesus died for our sins, if we know that, how dare we go on sinning? If we're not just breaking the law that Moses gave, but ignoring the sacrifice of Christ... 
verse 30. For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. If you'd, if you'd been a smoker and developed lung cancer and managed to get a lung transplant, your old cancerous tar-filled lungs have been taken out and you're given a pair of fresh, clean lungs, all at the taxpayer's expense, at no cost to you, suddenly you're able to breathe again. Would it be okay for you to just go out and keep smoking? Surely not. Surely not. You've been given a new start and you're just walking all over it. Jesus has given every Christian a transplant of holiness. At no cost to us, he's taken our old sinful lives, filled lives, and given us his eternal life, clean and new. Is it okay for us to just keep on sinning? Are we ignoring our sin? Are you living with it? Perhaps making some show of an effort to get rid of it, but really allowing it to dwell within you, to stay part of your life. Are you accepting it as inevitable? Then be warned. That is very very dangerous as a christian though we know we're forgiven we can get complacent so where are you ignoring god where are you living your way not his not living for the one who loved you and removed every obstacle to bring you to god where do you need to change laziness Lust, pride, greed. What are you going to do about it? Not because we can earn our salvation by turning it around. Not to get to God ourselves, but because we've been made new, made clean, made holy. Put your sin to death. Because this passage says it's dangerous not to. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. What God wants for us is holiness. And the good news of Hebrews 10 is that holiness doesn't come through sacrifice. God doesn't want sacrifice. The sacrifice of the Old Testament was just a shadow, a shadow that pointed the way to the reality of Christ in the Spirit that gave us full access to God. But without that sacrifice, it can be easy to forget that we do have free access to God now, despite our sinfulness. It's easy to get anxious. And when we do, we need to remember the lettuces, to draw near to God, to hold on to our hope, and to spur on one another. And without the sacrifices, it can be easy to forget the seriousness of our sins and get complacent. 
which is why there's this warning here. And so as we reflect on that, as we reflect on this passage, that's a good thing to pray about, that God will remind us. It's one of the reasons why we have communion uh, regularly here at Uni Church, as we did last week, to point us to the Jesus who died for us, helping us not to be anxious or complacent about our sins. And with the writer to the Hebrews, I'm glad we can say, uh, as verse 39 does, we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Thanks to God that we don't have to shrink back because of our sins, but we can come to God knowing that he'll forgive us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that we don't have to be part of the old sacrificial system, that we don't have to bring bulls and goats to take care of our sin, that in Jesus we have something far better, that in your spirit you move us to want to keep your law, to live your way. Lord God, where we're anxious about our sin, encourage us, give us confidence Where we're complacent, rebuke us, help us to change. And in all of it, may we cling to Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.